everybody. How's it going? This is Michael Hunterberg. Welcome to the JU Israel Teachers Lounge, our podcast where we try to keep you up to date with what's going on in Israel. I'm here, as always, of course, with co-host Alan Goldman. How's it going, Alan? It's going great, Mike. How you doing? I'm all right. Thank God. Pretty good. Uh, listeners may be noticing that this is another Skype episode uh the sound quality is gonna basically uh i think i think i think we had pretty good experience with our skype calls uh i think you should actually the the bigger issue is what's going on with uh your computer and why we've been slow getting out some episodes well i I don't really want to talk about it it's kind of depressing but let's just (laughs) say let's leave it in the vague land of i've been having uh some computer troubles and alan is working very diligently to uh try to get it fixed so that we can be up to our usual technological cutting-edge standards. Um, There have been some requests for us to deal with, um, both from students and from uh, the adult Facebook page, to deal with what's uh, going on recently in politics. And uh, we're very happy to bring back our politics expert, Yadidya Kennard who has just Hi. come back this week from presenting at a, uh, what were you presenting exactly, Adidya? Oh, I was presenting at a couple of um, tech conferences, um, specifically React Native, if anyone's interested. Or can understand. Uh, so anyway, we, because of uh, a lot of strange things going on in the news lately, Alan and I decided to turn to Yadidya to maybe uh, use his British accent to help us understand what's going on and make things a little bit clearer for everybody. Does that sound fair, Yadidya? You know, the thing with the British accent is that even if you don't understand, you think you do. Yeah, yeah. I think I think most listeners will think you know what you're talking about because of the accent. Yeah. That's what we do. Yeah. Well, that's why Alan and I like to talk to you. Also, for listeners who uh, missed a previous episode with Yudidya, just so you know, Yudidya is my son-in-law. So I happen to think he's a super genius who knows everything, but I may be a little bit biased. Uh, But he is certainly uh, a political junkie, and so we turn to him when Alan and I want to get a little more uh, into into the weeds of what's going on in Israeli politics. So, and I will say he did prove his uh, his uh, um, knowledge in the in the podcast that he did with us on the uh, back on the Amona and all that stuff. So it was very um, informative and great to have him with us again. Yeah, that's uh, and uh, uh, for those who want to listen to that episode, it's still up. What episode was it, Alan? I don't even remember. I'll put a link to it on the website. I think it was. Uh, I don't remember. I don't want to misquote it. All right, so for today, we're in a little bit of an odd political moment. Part of our question was, should we even be dedicating a podcast to a prime minister who, on his way out of the country, threatens to dissolve the government? Or is that too bizarre to even uh, be worth a conversation? Uh, What do you think? Do you think we're jumping the gun a little bit with this topic? Uh, It's sort of hard to say. Um, things seem to have died down in the past day or two, but no one really knows what's going to happen. Uh, it was definitely bizarre for Bibi to be getting on a plane and delivering ultimatums to senior members of his government. Yeah, and I, I think it's fair to say that this well, it caused a very big hubbub in the Israeli media, but after not having a lot of, it's sort of uh, not having a lot of fuel to for the fire, People are sort of running out of things to talk about because nothing has advanced. But uh, it also was weird the issue that he chose to make the hubbub over, no? So what was the hubbub? What, first of all, what does it mean? And I know that for listeners who are not in North America, uh, it's, it probably makes a lot of sense to talk about dissolving your government. But what, what does that mean, his threat that, that when the prime minister of Israel says, I'm going to dissolve the government? What, what exactly does that mean? Well, in um, parliamentary governments like Israel's, the prime minister isn't elected separately like you have the president elected in the states. So the prime minister is uh, leading the government because they can get a majority in the Knesset. 
So there's 120 members of the Knesset. So anyone who can have 61 members of Knesset say, I want this guy to be prime minister, is prime minister. And to do that, they need to bring together all the parties and build a coalition. So the way a government normally falls, in Israel it's very, very rare to have a government serve a full term, but the way a government normally falls is that one of the smaller parties in the government will decide that they could do better with new elections and they withdraw their support and then the prime minister no longer has a majority. And is that, is that and what's some, called a vote of no confidence? That's a vote of no confidence. There's votes of no confidence all the time, but they always fail because you need support of a party within the coalition. Um, what can happen is that the prime minister can decide that he will do better if there's new elections and he can pass a law to dissolve the Knesset or they can withdraw their own party support or just pick enough fights with, and make it clear that they want elections and then one of the other parties will vote for no confidence. It's sort of unclear what exactly Bibi wants to get out of this one. Um, well, he did this, the last time he did this was two years ago? Last time he did this was two years ago, and at that point the... Um, coalition passed the law to call for new elections, if I remember right. Yeah, but he, right, he instigated by firing two of his um, partners, right? Yeah, he fired um, two of his major coalition partners and some of his uh, ministers, and the rest of the ministers from those parties resigned, and then they were, in effect, no longer part of the coalition. So the coalition no longer had a majority. Which means that now we have to have elections again, which means that... If his party gets the majority, then he will have to reform a government, and he can now reform the government if he wins. But he is taking a, he he was taking a gamble. Theoretically, it doesn't have to lead to new elections if the coalition collapses, because, like I said, anyone with 61 members of Knesset can become prime minister. So theoretically, and there were some uh, reports about some talks between parties in the coalition, for example, uh, Kahlon's party, Kulanu, and parties outside, like uh, Zionist Union, um, trying to see if they could get a majority or so set up a different coalition, which is called a constructive no-confidence vote. But the Haredi ultra-Orthodox parties came out and said they weren't going to support anything like that. So there's no other coalition that's feasible with the current Knesset. So... Uh, the coalition falls apart, that will have to mean new elections. There were, there was a few months ago where there was a lot of talk that um, uh, uh, Herzog, who was the head of the Labour Party, right, um, would potentially join. So that's also another thing. He could, he could get rid of some of his coalition members now and bring in a different party in the Knesset, correct? Yes, and a few months ago as well, um, Victor Lieberman's party joined the coalition to make it bigger. Um, so coalitions can change and join and leave all the time. But given the current political climate, it's very, very unlikely, almost impossible for another party on the center or center-left or left to join the current coalition. Can I just ask uh, you a technical question? Do you know if they have to, like go to the president? Because I know after an election, it's the president who goes to the party that uh, is most likely to form a coalition. Let's say uh, they dissolved. Is, does the president become, if, if there's no elections involved, does the president have to be involved for approval or disapproval even, you know, symbolically? I think it's still the case that the president chooses who they think has the best chance of forming a coalition. And then they get six weeks to form a coalition, and that can be extended. And if they fail, then the president either either there's new elections or the president can choose someone else. And that's actually happened before when Kadima was the largest party. They, I think, had one more seat than Likud a couple of elections ago. With uh, Tippi Livni? With Tippi Livni. But at the same time... Netanyahu, who was leader of Likud, which was the second largest party at the time, um, sort of arranged a coalition behind her back, so she didn't have the chance to form a coalition, and after her six weeks ran out, uh, Bibi was able to form one. So it's still it's not the largest party, it's whoever has 61 MKs. 
Wait a second. So you're telling me that Bibi did something behind another politician's back? It has been known to happen. <laughs> it is very wow. politics. Wow. So what's causing, uh, as close, as near as we can tell, what's causing this current crisis? Why, Bibi's out of the country. I think the president's also out of the country. Isn't he also in Asia? I think so, yeah. I think they both went to Asia, but to different countries. And on his way out of the country, Bibi threatened to dissolve the government. What was the, what was the impetus? Some sort of fight with Kahlon. Who Who's this Kahlon fellow? So... Kahlon is uh, Alan's Kahlon. laughing at my folksy. Uh, I see you on Skype, Alan. You're laughing at me, Alan. Oh, you, you're, you're laughing at me on mute, so people don't hear how mean you are to me. He's a very tough boss. Yeah, I'm sorry, you did. You go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So Moshe Kahlon is um, currently the Minister of Finance, which is one of the very, very senior ministerial positions. He is the head of a party called Kulano. Before he was head of Kulano, he was a minister from the Likud, his Bibi's party. And he was um, seen as one of the rising stars of Likud. Um, one thing that everyone in Israel knows about him is that as a minister from Likud, he was minister of communications and he changed the way phone contracts are handled in Israel, which everyone was very happy about. Um, That's why that, I spend he, only about, I spend under $30 a month for unlimited calling, texting, international calling, I have an American phone number, that's because of Kahlon? Yeah, that's because of Kahlon. Um, or at least uh, everyone seems to think it is, and it's a law that passed <laughs> while he was Minister of Communications. Whether he started it, that's a different question. Right. But he gets the credit. Um, and after he did that, he decided that Likud wasn't the place for him, and he left and then started his own party. And his party came into the Knesset with, I think, nine or ten seats, which is quite a lot. They stood on the center-right, more focused on economic issues and issues around that than um, security issues, which is a relatively new phenomenon in Israeli politics. He took a lot of seats, some from Likud, some from the more to the center-left, from Yeshatid, and he joined with Likud in this coalition. But he, he, when he you say he's center-right, isn't Likud center-right? Well, he started out as Likud, so he's seen as more to the center than Likud, but more to the right than Yeshatid. Gotcha. But again, they're a party which focuses more on economic issues than on um, uh, security. security issues. Right, which is the real distinguishing, as opposed to really these polars of center-right or left, is really what they're focusing on, no? Yeah, so... Israeli politics is weird like that. When you say right, it means different things than if you said right wing in the U.S. Um, although there are some of the more traditional right-left divide around and sort of growing in some ways. So, uh, so now what happened exactly? What's causing Bibi to blow his stack and threaten to dissolve the government? Um, so that depends whether you're cynical or not. If you're very cynical, which some of the Israeli media seem to be, um, then you'll notice <laughs> for no reason at all, But which might even be part of the problem, or as far as Bibi sees it. But you might notice that there are several um, police investigations into uh, Benjamin Netanyahu and his family and people around him none of which have got to the point where anyone is prepared to press charges. So there's three separate investigations going on. And if you're cynical, you'd notice that elections normally push off any indictments. And if Bibi feels like there's one coming, then an election might be a way to push it off and get himself in power for longer. How would he know that the indictment was coming? You know, well, he's been interviewed by the police media, for... Yeah, and a lot of reports from the police. He's been investigated by police. He's been questioned by police um, several times in the last few weeks over some of these uh, um, investigations. Corruption, bribery, colluding with media, etc. We did a previous yeah, episode the... that dealt with the topic sort of generally. I guess I'll put a link to that also. Yeah, so if I just go through them very, very quickly, there's one case about receiving presents or asking for presents from uh, foreign businessmen. 
There's another which is about um, talking with um, people who own parts of the media in Israel in order to help them in order for positive press. And a third which is um, helping friends, well, sort of complicated, but maybe pushing arms deals for the benefit of friends of it. Yeah, I legit can't even follow that one. Now, yeah. leaving leaving the cynical aside, uh, that he's that this is all just a ploy to push off indictment and uh, create a little bit of chaos. What what did he say was the reason? What's what's he what's he drawing the line in the sand over, according to him? Okay, so what he said he's drawing the line over is even more complex. So, if you'll let me go back a few years for some context around this case, which no one really understands, and everyone's talking about. Oh, we need a good, so, you know what we need? We need a good flatback, flashback sound effect, Alan. We're going to yeah. have to expand our sound effects budget. Going back a few years, go ahead. So, if you go back all the way to when Israel was founded, there was an Israeli radio station, which was a state radio station. And over time, that grew, and then they added on a TV station in the late 60s. And that turned into what's known as the Israeli Broadcasting Authority. In English, IBA, and in Hebrew, it's Rushuta Shidor. That was the state broadcaster. They have a couple of TV channels. They have a couple of radio channels. And like many Israeli governments and government-related authorities or organizations, it grew over time. And it became clear that it wasn't well, it came clear to some people that it wasn't fulfilling its purpose as well as it could. Can I ask you a weird uh-huh. question? I remember yeah. when I first came to Israel, uh, so that would be like 82, and I saw that the basic TV channels were state channels and the radio stations were basically state radio stations. As an American visiting Israel, I thought that was super weird because I was used to the states where it's all private companies and corporations except for like one private, one public television station and one public radio station, you know, in each area. But it, it wasn't so weird, was it? Wasn't that like more or less the norm around the world? Wasn't America unusual? That was the norm around the world. In England, you still have the BBC, which is pretty much the same model, um, funded by a sort of specific tax that was specific to it from TV licenses. It's pretty much the same model as the Broadcasting Authority here. We used to have to pay a TV tax. When I first made Aliyah, there was one TV station and you had to pay a TV tax for years. You had to pay it until very recently, which is part yeah. of this whole whole story. Uh, this is just Alan bragging about how long he's been living in Israel. But it, yeah. but it, but it, it wasn't because it comes off as an American. It it feels, it felt to me like not sinister is too strong a word, but like creepy that the government. It's not like Izvestia and Pravda. It's not like the old Soviet Union. Uh, oh, no. part of the uh, part of the system. Also in England with the BBC and also in Israel with the Rashid Shidor, the Broadcasting Authority, is that they're totally independent. They're fund, publicly funded and by a tax that people have to pay, but the government has oversight over them as an organization, but no input whatsoever into the content. Right. And they've been very critical of the government over time, and BB in the past has been very critical of them, um, said all sorts of things about them. They're totally independent. And are seen as pretty leftist in generally. Um, Not unlike PBS or NPR in the states. Yeah, kind of like that. But they're publicly funded. I mean, they were funded by a tax on uh, TV licenses, but that stopped recently. So this was it was agreed by most people that something needed to be done to to, to make this organization more effective. So. In the previous government, there was a uh, commission and an investigation, and the results were that due to several reasons that they'd hired too many people and committed to too high salaries and everything had been locked in by union agreements, they decided that the their recommendation was to basically shut it down and start again from scratch. So... They accepted the results, and it was the Minister of Communication at the time was Gilad Erdan, who's uh, still a senior figure in the Likud. And the, the law was passed that the um, 
broadcasting authority would be shut down, and instead there'd be a broadcasting corporation, which would be totally new. I, they would have to hire some of the people from the previous organization, but didn't have to hire anyone specific. And this would be like set up in sort of, they call it startup mode, and it would be a totally brand new organization. It would be focused on internet as well as uh, traditional broadcast media, and it would be much more efficient, and again, totally independent. The only way to modernize would be a total reboot, basically. Yeah, they said that because of the ways things were locked in with union agreements and just because of the general bloat and the way it was set up, they needed a whole new remit and a whole new organization. How, how much and how much of this is due to like competition from the private stations? Which uh, begins like in ninety early nineties, they started having private TV stations. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it was partly could be down to that. There's a lot of different things. Um, that just led to this being an, well, in the commission's terms, it was like an outdated organization that it just got too big and too inefficient and too bureaucratic and said it just needed to be started from the ground up. See, I really right. wonder why that isn't normal in government institutions. It seems to me that that, that you well, see that. that. Yeah, go ahead, Alan. I think that that's because they got that as part of what happened with the private stations, especially Channel 2, whereas everybody used to watch the Channel 1 news, for instance, Channel 2 is by far the more popular one in the country. So most government institutions don't have the same competition. Uh-huh. I think that's why. For sure. Um, yeah, that's definitely true. Uh, yeah, so go ahead. Sorry. they decided to set up a whole, new, a whole new organization and close down the old one. And the original date was set for some time in the middle of 2015 when the switchover would happen. But straight away, there started to be opposition. There was very strong opposition from the old broadcasting authority. And there was um, famously during the 2014 um, Football World Cup, which was very popular in Israel, the authority threatened not to show it as part of a strike. And then they showed things during it, um, which was ruled illegal. But there was Just a huge amount of opposition. Football. Yeah, the the one with the foot and the ball. Um, <laughs> I knew that would annoy you. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, you can edit that out. No, I won't. <laughs> um, so there was a lot of opposition, but at the time it was delayed and delayed again, and BB sort of had a change of heart. He wasn't sure how interested in it. He was in the beginning, but Kathlon, as um, uh, finance minister, when he came in, he made a deal that they would definitely start. Um, he tried to push back the date. The date had been pushed all the way to the beginning of 2018, and they made a deal that it would start at the end of April 2017, and that would be the final date. So we're getting really close, and everything's ready. They... The new organization has said that they were ready to start on the 1st of January, but it's been pushed off. And now there's street protests by the workers of the old organization. Um, and they're saying that Kathleen is forcing them to shut down and putting them out of a job. And BB, having decided with Kathleen that this was going to happen at the end of April, said, oh, I've had a change of mind and you've got to shut shut down this whole plan, keep the old one, fire everyone from the new one, and I'm off to China. Well, this was after he agreed to it and then did it. It was all this like back and forth. He's changed his mind many times, but yeah. he says that this is the last time he's changing his mind. <laughs> With, the law, it was, it was passed as a law though, right? It's been passed as a law, but he has the coalition, so if he wants, he can pass another law. And there has been another law put forward by the court parts of Likud, because Likud split over this as well, to cancel the old law and keep the old broadcasting authority and get rid of the new broadcasting corporation, despite everything that's happened until now. So, Yadija, am I sensing from you, like, in the, in the Hebrew, in the media here, a lot of people are, like, casting this as an ideological fight, too, that, the you know, the... The broadcasting authority, the IBA, is very left-wing and very anti-BB, and that's why BB wants to shut it down. Am I sensing from you that that's what you think? That's like 
you know, kind of media, uh, you know, drama or sensationalism? Well, the Broadcasting Authority is the old one, which PB had in the past criticized for being left-wing. But it seems that as he sees how the new one's being put together, and again, it's independent from government authority, even if it's publicly funded, a lot of people seem to think that BB's worried about how much influence he'll be able to have there and what their opinions will be on things. Remember, this is an organization that was originally scheduled to be broadcasting from 2015 and says it's been ready for months now. And they are broadcasting on the Internet. They're quite a well-known presence on the social media. In Israel, they're branded as Khan, and, which means here. And they broadcast all the time. They broadcast little clips and Facebook posts, and they have blogs. And they've got quite a up-to-date, active media presence in Israel already, even without being officially on. So where's their money coming from? That, that's all coming from the taxes also? Well, there's been a law in place to fund them, getting them ready to be ready to go. And that's been pushed off, but they're still being funded. <clears throat> so we're like paying double taxes as, as taxpayers, is what you're saying. Sort of. As it's unclear where, what exactly is happening. I'm not sure exactly what, where all the financing for everything is coming from. But as part of the switchover, the TV tax that you mentioned before had been cancelled for a few years now. And that was part of the original law to set up this new organization. How do they, to fund, if you take away the TV tax, how do you fund the new TV station? Um, I'm not 100% sure where the funding is coming from, but I can find out. That's weird. That's all right. I don't, it was just pretty, uh, mm -hmm. that's a pretty uh, quibbly question. Uh, I mean, I guess I do care a little. I'll look it up because it is I, tax guess, money. I'm sure yeah, I'm sure it's taxes. I'm sure there's, you know, entertainment. Yeah, you know, yeah but it used to make sense that, that if, if you had a TV, like you could, I think I think they automatically, how did it work? They automatically gave you the TV tax, but you could opt out if you didn't have a TV? Yeah, but they knew when you, your TV was registered when you when you bought it. Right. So then you also had, part, of the, part of the um, car registration tax here is a radio tax. Right. That's even older. Oh, man. <laughs> So crazy. Uh, but PB did claim that it would save a lot of money in the region of two and a half billion shekel to cancel the new one and keep the old one. But the Treasury Ministry or the Finance Ministry on the cash plan has said that's just not true and it would be much more expensive to do it the way BB now wants to. So, <laughs> respect you choose. But he, he wants the Israeli electorate to understand that this issue is so important that it's worth shutting down a government two years into its administration in order to reboot and throw the whole country back into electoral uh, limbo yeah. over this television issue. It's not some other outside political issue or it's not some personal trying to get out of scandal issue. Yeah. And it's not just the opposition who've been saying that's ridiculous, but the president has been quoted as saying that you just don't go to elections over TVs. Is that and appropriate for the president? The coalition have been against it. It's been seen as very strange. But is it appropriate I, I, I for the president to comment like that? It would be. It is strange for the president to comment yeah. on that. But he's yeah. supposed to be apolitical. He's supposed to be sort of apolitical, but also. I think this president, as well as maybe our last president, sees themselves as a um, like an adult among the Knesset, trying to give a, a more grown-up voice from above. Mm -hmm. I, w I would just sort of Ryan go back in history a little bit to 1977 when the government fell do over do the bridge. Sorry, I'm just using our new sound effect, our new going yes. back in time sound effect. We spent exactly. a lot of money on it. I want to get the money's worth. I love it. I love it. Um, the when the government fell over bringing in, you know, the planes on on Shabbos, which yeah. led which led to a, a like a major change in Israeli politics when Likud, uh, for the first time, takes over the government. Yeah. So like these these kind of little sparks of issues can actually have like major ripple effects. No. That's that was the case when there was a 
the F-15 first came to Israel and there was a huge ceremony at the Air Force Base and the planes were delayed and they ended up landing two hours into Shabbat and the ultra-Orthodox parties left the government. I guess, I don't know, maybe I'm betraying personal bias, but that does at least seem like a more substantial issue than I'm changing my mind again. I don't want the new station that we've been building for years by law. Well, I'm just talking about, I, I, mean, I think it's per, yeah. somewhat like periphery, not like existential right. issues in the government that can lead to like major ripple effects without even really. Right. Know, and, and your basic point is that sometimes these side issues can have monumental effects on the course of Israeli. That's for sure true. Yeah. Bibi's also facing challenges to from his right politically. I mean, Kahlon's really sort of to his left a nudge. If, if Bibi throws this whole thing open, who are his biggest challengers to step up? In the more recent polls, um, Yesh Atid have been doing very well. Who is Yesh Atid? Yesh Atid is the party that is similar-ish to Kaplan's party. They were started an election before him, which is led by Yari Lapid. And they're also a center, center-left, center-right. They have people from a quite a wide range, um, and they're also more focused on economic and um, religion and states and social issues than security issues. You like uh, this party. Sorry? You like this party. Yeah. Um, I work with them a bit, and yeah, I think they have uh, also a more grown-up and uh, policy-oriented approach. Um but they've been doing very well in the polls, but it's still hard to see from the more recent polls how there could be a coalition from the left unless it takes in parties that wouldn't be their natural allies, like the ultra-Orthodox. Um, which they might not want to do. Which they might want to do, but it's it's hard to see how that would play politically. Right. But, what about what about Naftali Bennett but, and his party? Uh, well, I mean, Yesha Teed in the last government really squared off with the ultra-Orthodox who refused to join it. Yes. I mean, even though you have interesting things like that in the past in Israel, I mean, Yesha T kind of has it like as a major platform, re forcibly reshaping the ultra-Orthodox world, no? Yeah, and that's why it's hard to see that they would join. Like, Yesha T's official policy is not to uh, rule out anyone, but to rule in policies. So, but it's hard to see the ultra-Orthodox sitting in a government that supports policies like um, really promoting ultra-Orthodox going to the army and going into the workforce and things like that. And structuring is governmental help and policy based on those based on those changes in, in, in the Haredi world. Yeah, well, the, however much there are changes in the Haredi world, there aren't so many changes on the senior political level. So it's all the same people with all the same things as has been for many years now. So it's hard to see those changing anytime soon. So you have Kahlon, you have uh, Kahlon in Kulanu, you have Lapid in Yeshatid, and you have Bennett. What's what's the story with him and his party, and how is he putting pressure on Netanyahu from Netanyahu's right? So Bennett's party, so related to a previous podcast um, about Amona. Um, Bennett's core uh, electorate are quite disappointed in them because they see this as what was bad, as the furthest right government ever, and they don't see them doing any right-wing things. Bennett came in with his big plan of annexing Area C and anything like that, and nothing like that has happened. So there's a law on the table, or well, it's not even on the table yet, but they want it to be on the table, which is to annex Malay Dumim, as a first step in possibly annexing areas of Area C. And BB has been pushing off this law, and it's, it's been pushed off several times now, and it's just been pushed up again, so it's not going to be talked about by the committee of ministers that could put it on the Knesset table until at least the next session of the Knesset, which is after Independence Day, so not for a few months yet. Um, so... 
Bennett has recently, just in the last few weeks, called early primaries in the, in his party for leadership and for spots on the list, which is something that parties generally do when they think an election is coming. And he's being challenged from within his party and probably from without his party by the next election for people who see that he isn't representing them as they thought he would. So that means Bennett, to try and get those people back, is going to have to push BB from the right a bit. He's going to have to try and push for the Mali Dumin bill to be um, tabled. He's going to have to push for um, anything like that. But what about this BDS tourism law? What's the story with that? Where did that come from? Um, so that's similar in that there's a, the, one of the right-wing things that the government is doing is they passed a law which bans entry to Israel for anyone who is promoting boycotting Israel or any territory under Israeli control, which was slipped in there. So if you post on Facebook that you don't think that people should buy things from the settlements, then theoretically you can be barred from entering Israel. Meaning that the government's keeping tabs on your personal expressions around the world, and if you want to come visit Israel, they won't let you in. That's the idea of it. The idea is that they can do that if they want. Um, I don't think it's actually been used any time yet, but we'll see where it goes. And 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 this is what what's the Alan? What do you think of this this type of legislation? I kind of remember seeing the article where someone was turned away ahead of the BBS, but I can't. I, I, Maybe like one maybe. or two people. I think it was like a token. Yeah, yeah. I think it's. I mean, uh, well, first of all, I think it's dangerous to lump um, the you know West Bank in with the rest of the with the rest of the country. For the Knesset uh, to make laws in the West Bank when technically it's not part of Israel hasn't annexed it. And, and, and no, including I'm saying even the BDS, like including a BDS, like someone who may be against um, oh. supporting settlements. Oh, so you're saying so, like let's say Peter Beinart, who says I don't want to buy products from the West Bank, to not let him in yeah. the country would be creepy. Yeah, I mean I think there's a legit, you know, there's a legit Zionist opinion that says we need, you know, two states, we need to go to whatever, you know, the borders of 67, whatever you want. And I, or even not that, even though there are plenty of people who say, well, we understand Israel has to control those areas now, but I don't support settlements. I don't think settlements should be there. Israel militarily should be should be controlling the West Bank until we have some kind of agreement. But I don't agree with settlements, and I don't want to support the expansion of settlements. I think that's like uh, uh, that's certainly within the tent of the Zionist movement, I believe. And I think to shut people out who are who are Zionists based on that is very problematic. You're saying the law could bar Zionists from visiting Israel. Yeah, you know, and, and people are critical. Then it also makes this whole thing, oh, once you're critical of Israel of any policies, all of a sudden you're blanketed with you, you, you're against Israel totally, which I think is also problematic because we know you can be critical of Israel like most Israelis are or all Israelis uh, of something in Israel and still be very, very pro the country and everything. So I, I think that's very problematic. Now, what do you guys think about are, the yeah, – go ahead. Sorry. So and but then there are those official BDS like if you're talking about the official BDS voices that that call for the the ending of the state of Israel and delegitimize the state of Israel. I think that that would be fair that we don't have to say those people can get visas to be in the country. You know, all countries don't let people in who they who they consider are threats to the country. So I think you have to make a very big distinction between those two things. Is that true? Do other countries make bans on people who they think will be? Will, uh, who, who say bad things about them? Not not military enemies, but public relations no. enemies. Do other countries no, do that? So, no, but I think people who people who countries deem as a threat to them. What do you right? mean by threat? Uh, well, I think it, don't you think a threat to the you know uh, uh, someone who's going to organize? I mean, I guess I don't know. I have to go into more rise, but you, to get into the United States, you have to get a visa, right? If you're coming from many different countries around the world. You don't get an automatic visa. If you're, if you're an Israeli trying to get into America, you have to ask for a visa. Correct? And if in my social media I say United States is a terrible country, the United States – Or should, should, I, they should cease to exist? I, I mean, I, you well, know – Yeah, we should boycott American products because America is an international aggressor. 
and I call for the boycott of American products. And the end of America. That's what I'm saying. Well, BDS never says that. I mean, yes, it's true that there's, their policy demands would lead to that, but they're careful not to say that explicitly. I think there is a, um, a way to, to, to there is a defense that you can make of this law, which is that it's focused on activists more than just people who post on social media. So if you're coming to Israel and you have in the past posted something on Facebook, I don't think anyone expects you to be banned. But if you're an activist for BDS and you're coming as part of a uh, part of your activism, then you quite you might well be, which is a different. And there are countries, like even Western democracies, that do ban people, but normally it's specific people for specific reasons. Like there is a list in the UK that used to be published, and I think it's secret now, but the the specific people who are banned by the Home Secretary for uh, because they didn't feel that their views would be helpful to or harm would be harmful to British society and they'd be promoting things, and that's not just a lot of them are um, people who support radical um, Islam, but there are also some um, radical right wing Israeli activists who've been banned from going to the UK because the British government thought that their views would be harmful to society there. So it's not unprecedented. I think banning a class of people or a whole group and specifying one ideology is more extreme than has been done in other places, but it's not completely unprecedented. But I do agree that lumping the Israel, as people say, Israel proper within the green line and Israel in the, in the settlements together, I think it's definitely unhelpful. It plays into BDS's hands more than anything else. And I think that might have been deliberate by the right-wing parties in Israel who very, very much want to blur the line between anything within and without the green line. Because it, actually... They want to create legislative creep so that Israel has more and more political control in the West Bank? More and more political control, and it's less and less possible to have a two-state solution. So while Bibi himself is um, publicly in favor of a two-state solution, um, Bennett's party and part of the Likud are very much against it, and they want to go more than just be against it. They want to actively make it less possible and harder to happen. They want it to be just obvious to everyone that there's no way to split Israel on the green line. So putting in laws like this and the law that we talked about last time, which was the Hokahastara, uh, which was the, I forgot how we translated it that time, the organization law is uh, another way of doing that. And we'll just briefly, what, just remind us what that law does. That was a way of taking um, land in settlements that have been built on uh, without knowing that it was owned privately to and to take the land for the, for the settlement's use or take the use of the land. And it was basically applying an Israeli law within the settlements. And do you where guys that, where does that law stand now? That law passed, and I'm not, I don't remember what its status is right now. I think it, it did pass. Um, I assume it's in the process of being challenged in the courts. Do you guys do you guys think that uh, Israeli lawmakers should take into account how these things will be perceived abroad? In other words, how does Israel look if it's banning a political activists? Uh, passing uh, eminent domain laws in occupied territory, etc., uh, etc., et for their own political agenda, should they have concern about how, 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 what, what will this do to Hasbara around the world? I, I think, in other words, I think it'll it, it makes Hasbara around the world very difficult. Should they it care about sure that? Sorry? I agree. It does. For sure, it does. I, I think that it, it's like. The thing that made that jumps up into my mind the most, Michael, when you like that's this is 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 uh, BB's statements on on election day about Arabs flocking to the right. You know, it's just like remind very, people what he what he did. He sorry he uh, he went on social media I think right he was on social media and uh, with a, a live Facebook or something and sort of put the word out that. Arabs were flocking to the polls and, you know, we better get the vote out because otherwise, you know, um, uh, it's going to throw off the balance. Um, 
which and, of course and he was talking of course I, about Arab Israeli citizens. Yeah, and and, and that was it, it, obviously playing on all kinds of fears, and it wasn't true at all. Um, and, and of course, it was a short-sighted, um, nasty political move. Uh, to try and garner more more votes for Likud without looking at the further ramifications about how this appears in the world and I think not really caring all that much. And I think it's a little bit like the BDS thing. I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, Yadija, but it's kind of like we haven't really been able to accomplish these kind of things like annexing Mali Dumim or, or, or Area C or something like that. So we got to like show some kind of thing to our constituents like we are fighting the, the fight, so to speak. Um, and oh. so, so I kind of short-sighted um, and not looking at like the further ramifications. Well, in Israel, BDS is seen across the board from everyone from not quite the far left, but from the pretty far left all the way through as really, really bad. They're seen, quite, everyone would pretty much agree that they're anti-Semitic and they're out to destroy Israel as a Jewish state. Yeah, I think that's fair. And, Anything against BDS is popular, but it's not just doing it because it's popular. They're really doing it be also because they think it's the right thing to do. Like most people in Israel, if you ask them, should people from BDS be allowed to come to Israel and uh, do activist things for BDS in Israel or in the Shtafim, they'd say no. So specifically that, I think, is pretty widely, I think people think it was handled badly, but it's not an unpopular law. No, exactly. I, I, I think that that's exactly right. I think that that's what, that's the point. But I think that they're not looking far down the line. Two things like how it affects is, is, Israel's image as a democratic, you know, state. Like how is this going to come out on the freedom, uh, what should we call it? You know, uh, yeah. what's it called? Michael? Uh, freedom House. The freedom House. That, that ranks your... How is this going to come out on the Freedom House? That's along interesting. With the, I don't know. I don't know that they really. I'm not sure that would affect it so much. I don't think so sure. because that's not what they're measuring. They're not measuring how you treat visitors. They're measuring how you treat your citizens. Uh, people in Israel and Israeli politicians well, no, could be seen as sorry. Go ahead. America sees this. That's something that everyone um, takes notice of, and I think a what lot I missed of that. Sorry, say again. Looks now because I talked over you. Did you? Could you repeat that? People in Israel and politicians in Israel are very aware of anything. They're aware of how the Americans and the American government sees things. So I think there was a, even with Bibi and definitely with the further right, people really thought that as of 20th of January, we'll be able to do anything. And they pushed um, things off until Bibi had met with Trump, until Bibi had spoken to Trump at least. Uh, but the right really thought that Obama's gone, Trump's in, we're going to be able to build in settlements and we're going to be able to maybe annex Mali Domim and maybe even the Americans will move the embassy and we'll be able to confirm Jerusalem. And none of that happened. And rumors are that Phoebe himself is not very happy with how the Trump administration is starting out with regards to Israel. They really haven't been what the far right thought they would be here. So a lot was pushed off till then, and a lot was done, or some things like the BDS law probably wouldn't have been done a few months ago. But things that were pushed off, and hopefully until Trump was elected, or until Trump took power, still haven't happened now because people are suddenly realizing that Trump isn't all in favor of building anywhere we want. Well, that just shows you uh, the the amazing foresight and intuition and, uh, and analytical abilities of our Israeli politicians. How's that for a yes. cynical... Uh... Yes, which we've been saying since the beginning. Yeah. Since one, that it's not going to be such an easy, you know, ride, obviously. Correct. Obvious. Yeah. It, is, it, is, it is a depressing thing to note that the JU Israel Teachers Lounge podcast has <laughs> read those tea leaves better than Israeli politicians. That is not a good sign for a healthy society. But <laughs> Hey, uh, you're not giving us enough credit, man. We've been doing this a long time. All right, I take like, it back. Let us run like the country. Like months on this podcast, you know. That's right, that's right. <laughs> um, but we're thrilled that people like it. We're thrilled that we had feedback and, and uh, requests. Please keep them coming. We're always happy to take them. Uh, Yadidya, if this blows over, 
and ends up being like a nothing thing. Uh, so uh, we'll 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 wait for another uh, odd political moment opportunity to bring you back. But if something does happen, would you be willing to come back uh, even in the near future? If something really uh, do you think something dramatic is going to happen here when BB gets back? Do you um, think the government? Do you think they're going to call for elections? Something sort of has to happen because Netanyahu has made such a public challenge to Kathleen that Kathleen's either going to have to back down or there's going to have to be elections. It's hard to see how there could be a compromise, but this is Israel, so anything could happen. Alan, your prediction? Uh, it'll blow over. I'm going to actually vote with Alan that it, that Kathleen's going to back down and this is going to blow over. I don't think he's going to back down. I don't think it will lead to elections, though. I think there will be something in the middle. That's right. I think there will be some face-saving escape for Kahlon to back down. But it won't be presented as that. But the coalition will be much less stable than it has been until now. But but either way, you'll still still come back at some point in the future to help us again with our unravel the political uh, landscape here? Of course, yeah. You did just the best. But awesome. And especially since, of course, Israeli politics is impossible to predict, as we all know. That's always true. Yeah. Uh, so thank you again. Uh, thanks again, Yadidya. Give everyone a hug thank at you. home. Alan, thanks a lot. <laughs> uh, we'll talk to you next time. Please, uh, if these podcasts are helpful, please recommend them. You can find us on, uh, well, I'll put all the links on the website, you know, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook group, all that good stuff. Uh, but what we'd really appreciate, if, if these are helpful to you at all, the best thing you can do, aside from letting us know, is sharing it with other people. Thanks so much again, guys. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye.